Hi, and welcome to Let's Talk Safety. I'm your host, Dylan Sutherland from Protector Safety Gear. Throughout this series, we'll be interviewing industry experts to provide our audience with valuable insights on various categories of PPE. Topics will range from selection and standards to maintenance and care. This should ultimately assist you in selecting fit-for-purpose safety solutions for your site. From these discussions, we will create resources such as Toolbox Talk downloads and blogs, all of which will be available on our website, www.protector.co.za for download. We're really excited to have Rani Nadu with us today. Rani is the Senior Application Engineer with the added responsibility of technical and regulatory management for 3M in South Africa. Rani is really well known in the safety world and she handles a couple different aspects of it. One of them is respiratory, which we will get into today. But maybe Rani, if you can give us a brief introduction on how did you get to where you are now within 3M? Thank you, Dylan. Um, so my journey with 3M started 19 years ago. So within 3M, I've held six different positions um, that ranges from marketing to product management to sales, sales management, technical, and now as application engineer for the division. So. Uh, my interest has always been about people safety, and I think that's where my strength comes from, is the fact that I'm always looking out for the next person. And I'm glad we can testify that. We've worked together a few times, and it's really been inspirational to see how you engage with the people. Because ultimately, I mean, safety, yes, there's all the products and there's everything, but ultimately the guy on the ground is the one that's at risk, and they need to be appropriately protected. From our view, we see 3M as this global giant. And I don't think it's us. It's Everybody sees them as this global giant. And we really see it as a fit-for-purpose solution based on the quality of product. I mean, it's the non-negotiable. Safety is number one. And the quality that you guys offer is it's second to none. There's a, a second element, which is actually the fit-for-purpose side of things, which we see as making sure that the appropriate solution is given to the person that needs to use it in that application. That's how we perceive 3M. How would you say 3M is a fit-for-purpose solution to the clients? Okay, so anything 3M manufactures has gone through extensive R&D. Um, and when we talk R&D, it's not just scientists in a lab that are coming up with a concept and trying to market a product. We look at uh, information that we gain from the market itself. We listen to our end users in terms of what their requirements are, and we try and adapt product accordingly. Um, if I look at my role in South Africa, um, just take mining, for instance. We have the deepest mines in South Africa. So my experience with working with people um, in underground shafts um, in our deep mines is then conveyed to my team and to um, our R&D and science labs. And taking what information I give them, they will then work on a product for that. So it's not just a market introduction of a product, but we take to heart what we learn from the industry and from our end users. And that's obviously getting into the mine. I mean, I'm pretty sure you've been down plenty of shafts and made sure that you actually understand what these people are, what the risk is, right? It's not just we sit in the office and we think, well, they're going underground, so maybe this is a risk. You guys get into that mine, right? 100%. So um, I always pe tell people that I have the most exciting job ever because 
like today, I'm sitting here doing this podcast, but tomorrow I could be at a university lecturing or I could be underground in that mine. And I will never recommend a product for you to use if I haven't experienced it or tested it myself in that situation. So yes, um, before I actually recommend a product to a person, I make sure I visit that mine. I will spend time underground. I will work a full shift with the employee there just to understand what he's experiencing throughout the day so that I can recommend the correct products. In my opinion, something happened around 2019 where there was that lawsuit, that that civil lawsuit that actually came to fruition around 2019. Um, that, I think, started shining a bit of a light on safety equipment isn't for right now. The reality is that most of those people that were affected by this was mid-1900s, and they were affected 50, 60, almost 70 years after they worked in that environment. How do you perceive that from a safety point? So when we talk respiratory, when we talk about hearing protection, those to me are the sneaky Um, injuries basically that happen to people in terms of occupational health. So if I look at the silicosis uh, lawsuit for instance, yes those minors were affected way back when but it only came to light when they started doing analysis and finding out you know so many people are now laying claims against mines. Why? And when the investigation took place they realized that people were not adequately protected Um, Hence, they opened up the civil lawsuit where they brought in as many people as they could find and they went after the bigger mines um, in terms of um, not providing the correct respiratory protection. Hence, the people were now suffering with respirable diseases. So it opened up people's eyes in terms of is the product I'm wearing really fit for purpose? Is it really protecting me? Does it fit my face shape and size? Is the model of respirator that I'm using actually the right one for the environment that I'm being exposed to? So when this lawsuit came about, people started to sit up and take notice that you can't just buy something based on a price or because of what I perceive would be the right product, but you need to have it fit for purpose. Fantastic. And that's the next question I was going to ask. Have you seen an actual change in the industry? I think it started in 2012. It ran for a number of years. Was there a real change? I mean, you were involved in the industry at that stage? Yes. So there has been a change. So um, and the change came in with respiratory fit testing. So that's not mandated um, in South Africa at the moment. So It's not um, a requirement. There's no legislation around it, which is something I'm working to change. But the idea is to actually fit test a person to make sure that the respirator they're going to be using is correct for them. So a lot of the multinationals and bigger corporations are now implementing fit testing. And while it's not mandated um, as a country law, they are putting it into their standard operating procedures as part of their respiratory programs. So with this particular incident, was the fit incorrect or was it the product which was incorrect? Combination of both, actually. An apple is not always an apple when you just look at it visually. 
there's a lot of nuances that you got to consider when you purchase. So that is one of the issues in that they were purchasing substandard product because it kind of looked like the product they were initially asked to get. The other option is the um, fit testing, which is never done. Um, people just order a one size fit all and that's where you then have the issues. Um, respirators, when you talk about the disposable type, yes, there's one standard size, but there's different models. So while a cup shape may not fit on my face, I could opt for a flat fold type respirator. So it is a combination of both. Now, that, that lawsuit came up to something ridiculous like 5 billion rand as a total. What kind of respiratory protection would they have required? Would it have been a half-face mask or what the general, not the, obviously, you're not going to be able to tell me every single one, but on average, would a half-face mask have sufficed? In my opinion, the half-face is the better option but the majority of the mines will opt for a disposable type respirator. Um, and again, they're looking at the cost effect. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people don't do the pencil cell to see the longevity of a reusable respirator and how long that's going to last as compared to a disposable. So um, a lot of the mines have opted for disposable and there's nothing wrong with that as long as you're using the right product category. So respiratory products, if you don't know this already, is broken down into three protection factors. You get the FFP1, an FFP2, or an FFP3. For mining, you should be using nothing less than an FFP2 and above. And it's dependent on what you're being exposed to. Um, quite honestly, I don't like recommending an FFP1 because that's your lowest level of protection. And again, if we're looking at cost, um, nowadays your FFP1 and FFP2 is virtually the same pricing. So why not go with a higher protection factor, which is an FFP2? So yes, the you would be issued with a product after the health and safety person has conducted an, um, the in-depth look into what your requirement would be. Um, so the onus isn't on the actual individual to choose the right one. It should be done um, by the company or the corporate and the person responsible in that situation. When you are using the product, however, you got to make sure that you are using it correctly. So yes, you're being issued with the right product, but the onus is on you to make sure you use it correctly. The one thing that I can't get my head around is five billion rand is a significant amount of money. How many masks could I have bought for that? How many half-face masks could I have bought for that? So my feeling, and that's where I want to get your insights, is did they say, look, let's rather save two rand on a mask or ten rand on a half-face mask and ultimately save a couple hundred thousand rand maybe and sit with this lawsuit of five billion rand at the end of the, the period? Um... Uh, yes, and that's why I spoke about procurement getting involved. Because uh, if you look at procurement, what is the general KPI for that person? Is to reduce cost. And unfortunately, it's to the detriment of the worker. So yes, I would suggest that before anyone orders any kind of respiratory, they should do a risk assessment. Find out what you're actually being exposed to and the volumes that you're being exposed to. 
and then work on a program to get the correct product into that situation. Not all of the um, respiratory that's available in the market comes from reputable companies that have vetted and have passed the regulatory standards. So that's the other thing you got to look at. Um, we saw this during COVID. We saw a lot of KN95s and N95s coming into the country that we had never heard of before. Um, and we even found people that were bringing in um, hobby type masks and then locally stamping it with these uh, regulatory standards, putting a KN95 or an N95 on it. And those products don't suit um, the environment for which it was intended. So there is no hard and fast rule as to what you should use in each circumstance. You would need to do a feasibility. Okay, you've touched on the very next vital point of the standards. I mean, COVID, we saw an influx of counterfeit product. You you mentioned that there was KN95, and what is that? What? How do we, as a layman, I know nothing about the mask. I get given a mask, I need to go put it on and work. How do I make sure that I'm wearing an appropriate mask? Because I don't want to be that guy 70 years down the line. I don't want to be sick with a, a something, a disease or damage to myself that I never even knew I was exposed to? So I'll answer your first question. Um, sorry, your second question first. If you were part of this lawsuit, chances are you would not see that money. You would probably be dead before the payout actually happens. So, and I say this because I want to highlight just how important it is to take care of yourself. So, if I look at the standards, South Africa follows the European standards. Um, so when we talk about respiratory, anything that's marked with an EN standard is the product you should be looking at. So EN stands for the European standard. Your KN95 is um, the equivalent for a Chinese product or anything coming out of China. And if you look at an N95, that is product coming in from the US. So none of those products are actually legally allowed into the country because, as I mentioned, we follow the European law when it comes to occupational health and safety. But now we're, we're in South Africa. Why are we following the European norm? If you look at the standards and regulations, the European standards far exceed the uh, Chinese and even the US standards. The methods of testing the products also differs quite vastly. So if you really want a product that's um, unsurpassed, your EN product is it. But South Africa has chosen the EN standard to be its regulatory partner um, because it's more adaptable to our country. Cool. And who, who chooses that? Who decides that we will follow that? So it's part of the SABS, um, the National Trade uh, Industries, and as well as the National Regulator for Compulsory Specifications. Cool. So let's run through it. Uh, what's Give us an example. What's a standard EN certification? So for your disposable um, respiratory, it would need to comply to the EN149 standard. 
So this standard will um, actually tell you what the testing process needs to be, a longevity of the product, the markings on the product itself, and of course the uh, mode of sale. So in other words, how do you sell it? Is it loosely packed? Is Can you sell it individually or can you sell it in bulk? Great. So now on your EN149, that, as I understand, is just a mask. It's a regular mask that goes over your mouth um, and it's disposable, right? Correct. So what should our audience think about if they're going to use that? Where would they use that or what would a fit for purpose application be for that type of mask? Your disposable masks are really there for dust and for mists. So when I talk mist, it's like slight sprays of water or oil. Um, and the EN standard does account for that. If you move to an N95, for instance, um, there's different markings. So your N95 will have a specific marking for oil uh, exposure, and it'll have a, d a different one for just the particle exposure. So where would you use this actual product? Any environment that has dust, but not excessive dust. Um, so if you're in, if I have to look at a cement plant, for instance, I wouldn't recommend um, the use of disposable respirators purely because the content of dust in the atmosphere is so high that that respirator will clog within two or three hours, um, especially if you're in the crushing areas of these um, cement uh, manufacturing, for instance. So again, we need to talk feasibility. So you need to do a study, a walkthrough, uh, where you can determine what your air content is going to be and how much you're going to be exposed to it. Um, there may be instances where the guy is only in that area for an hour. Then yes, if he's in for an hour and out for two or three and then has to go in for another hour, then he could use a respirator for um, the duration of that shift. So it's a lot more complex than just saying, hey, here's a mask, put it on while you're in there. We need to understand that whole picture. We rely on safety officials or safety officers on the sites. Are they the people that dictate this or how, how does it currently play out on site? So most companies would have an occupational hygienist on site um, or the safety manager would have some uh, occupational health training. But I would prefer that companies get in an AIA, an Authorized Inspection Authority, um, to come and do a site assessment because they will monitor the air quality in the atmosphere as well as on the person um, so that they can get a better understanding of how much is actually being, um, the person's being exposed to. I think that's a really important point. My personal opinion is the safety officer I just have to worry about fall protection. That's my background. I, I can study it. I can understand it. As a safety officer, you need to think about the helmet, the respiratory, the eye protection, the hand. It's crazy. It's, it's too much. And I really hope that the information that's shared in these sessions can actually help those people because I don't think anybody comes to a job and says, hey, what can I break today or what can I do wrong? Yeah, sure. But the reality is if we don't give them the proper tools and appropriate information, the chances are they're not going to make a really good decision on how do I keep my people protected and make sure that everybody in 75 years doesn't have to worry about the payout or doesn't have to worry about their family carrying on without them because these people are doing the job to put food on the table. And When we talk about the, 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 the mask, you mentioned that 
some environments might be more um, subjected to more, um, what can I call them, more dirt in the atmosphere. Would that um, have an effect on the mask or the, the lifespan of that mask? It would. Okay, so when people ask me, and this relates more to the longevity of use, uh, when they ask me about how long will this respirator last if I'm using it, there's several factors you need to take into consideration. So yes, atmosphere, definitely. How much are you being exposed to? Okay, then it's uh, time related. How much of time are you spending in that environment? Then we look at other atmospheric um, issues like atmospheric pressure, what's the humidity in that area because humidity will add to the clogging effect of a respirator. So there's several factors including what the person's doing. So is it um, heavy manual labor for instance? Because if I am doing something that's um, heavy manual labor, then I'm going to be breathing a lot harder and heavier which means I'm going to be drawing more breaths through the respirator. Um, if I'm just sitting at a work desk and just doing some static work, then I'm not going to be breathing as heavy, so I'm not going to be drawing as many breaths or such heavy breaths that's going to pull contaminant into the respirator. So besides the person, um, also you need to understand, is that person um, moving between departments? So maybe in one area it's just dust. But he needs to move from here to the next one to leave something in a lab. Maybe there's chemical exposure there. So what effect is that chemical going to have on his dust respirator? Is he wearing the right respirator for that? So there's several factors you need to consider if you're going to talk about how long will a respirator last. Let's get to a bit more of a fun story. Have there been any interesting misconceptions or myths that you've experienced when dealing with respiratory protection on sites? Absolutely. So one of the myths that's always um, given to me when I visit mine sites especially, uh, especially with the older workers, it's a case of I don't need a respirator. My boss gives me a liter of milk a day. Because there's this fallacy out there, um, especially amongst the mining community, that if they drink a liter of milk a day, it'll clear their lungs. So this happened to me in a presentation, and even the foreman stood up and said, yeah, we get our milk, we got. And the simple question I will then ask is, when you eat or drink anything, which organ in your body gets involved? It's your kidneys. When you are breathing, which organ? It's your lungs. These two organs don't speak to each other. So how is drinking milk going to clear your lungs when it's going straight through to your kidney? So those are things that we encounter quite often, um, you know, where people have this idea that doing something um, that's been done previously, maybe by their parents or grandparents that worked in mines, will help them through. That's hugely valuable. I mean, at the end of the day, we experience that, I think, across the safety industry. The common answer is, well, nothing's gone wrong yet. And if we can use the, the, the lawsuit, I mean, 75 years down the line, you don't want to have to figure it out 75 years after all that damage. 
Thank you for joining us and I hope this episode added value to you. If you are experiencing any safety challenges on your sites and require any additional information, please do leave us a message on LinkedIn via Protector Safety Gears page or alternatively follow the link below and share a message with us because maybe it can create value or valuable conversation for future episodes. Be sure to also follow us on LinkedIn. Um, there will be some valuable information shared from today's discussion.